Galatians 5, 13 um, through 15. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. We're jumping into Galatians right after Paul has just said, I would, that they, the Judaizers, were even cut off, which trouble you. So this four is attached to that thought. They have put you in bondage to the law again. You have begun to think that keeping of it will affect your standing with God. He has just said in verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So this is a doubling down on this liberty, but it is more than that. He is also showing them how not to be entangled. He has gone to great lengths to show them their utter freedom in Christ, and that their standing is not based upon keeping the law. They are no longer slaves, but sons. They are no longer in the bondage under the beggarly elements, but have come into the glorious freedom of the sons of God. They are to run their race in faith. They are to live by the faith that looks to the works and sufferings of another on their behalf. For Paul has just reminded them over and over that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no just flesh be justified. And in chapter 2, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In chapter 3, he says, As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And as if that were not enough, he says again in chapter 4 that we've been raised not just to freedom, but to sonship. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This thought is expressed by Paul also in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death, for what the law could not do, 
and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So it is no wonder that Paul is here proclaiming, stand fast in this liberty. But then almost as if he fears that we'll go too far in this, he brings the law back in and says, all the law is fulfilled in verse 14. So what's he driving at? Well, firstly, the freedom we enjoy is not a freedom from law in and of itself, but a freedom from law as a covenant. It no longer says to us, do and live, do and be accepted, do and you may draw near. Our enjoyment of God is based on the law-keeping of our covenant head. We are freed from the guilt of transgression. We still confess that the law is good. It has always been good. It is the expression of the character of a good God. And it will always be good because, as he says, it is the fulfilling of the law. Our love is the, the law is fulfilled in love. It is not a matter of the law being erased, but rather of the power of it over us in its condemning of us that has been removed. This is liberty. This is liberty indeed. What was once hounding us on our way to a Christless eternity, in the outer darkness, gnashing of teeth, has now become strangely silent at the bar of God. The cruel husband of Romans 7 has died and has been replaced with another full of grace and truth. What the first demanded and could never produce, the second now writes upon our hearts in letters of love and power. It is that which now lightens our path and brings joy to our hearts. It is no longer an enemy or a judge, chasing and harassing us, thundering after us and telling us to pay what we owe. But it has become the very heartbeat of our inmost being. But how has this happened? By making us free from it. This very freedom is what is at the heart of the power of the gospel to make us holy. It's a strange thought to the natural mind. And that is the second thing I want to draw out here. <clears throat> the doing of this is not in the flesh. He has been laboring for five chapters to establish that the works of the flesh profit for nothing. That the flesh cannot be the ground of our acceptance because the flesh, in attempting to do the law, only puts itself under condemnation because the doing of it in the flesh, or the attempted doing of it, I should say, for our acceptance before God, the doing of it for our acceptance before a holy God, will only achieve that for which it was given. And Paul tells us in chapter 3 that the law was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. The covenant of law then was given because of transgression. And if we bring ourselves under it and proclaim like the Israelites of old, all that you have said we will do, we will very quickly find that we, like them, are running for cover as the mountain shakes and threatens to fall upon us. We will hide our faces from the lightnings. We will cover our ears from the thunderings. We will make aprons like our first father did of fig leaves. 
the higher names. Using the law as a means of life, as a means of acceptance with God, will prove to be a futile endeavor and will only sadly produce the opposite result because of the innate enmity of the flesh to it. So that brings us to the next thing. We have this glorious liberty to which we have been called. And Paul says, only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. This is an interesting statement, and it can mean one of two things. It can mean, do not use your liberty or freedom to be sinful. That's the meaning that is most often ascribed to it. Do not indulge your flesh, just because the law no longer condemns you. I'm okay with this. It is a truth of Scripture, and certainly the end result would be the same. Or, it can mean, do not begin in the Spirit, and then look to be made perfect in the flesh. Now this is a little different. Even though the fruit of it is the same in the end, I believe this is a better understanding. And I'd be happy if someone wants to disagree with me on this. I'm not going to be dogmatic for sure. Now both of these have the same end point. Both will produce the fruit mentioned in verses 19 through 21. And both will also produce what he speaks of in our passage, biting and devouring one another. Whether it is a process of selfish indulgence because of the freedom we have in Christ, let us sin that grace may abound, or a fleshly attempt to keep the law in order to perfect or recommend oneself before God, the issue of it will be the same. And I think it to be the latter. And I think Paul is here putting before us two opposing principles. <coughs> If you take a look at Galatians 2, 16 through 21, you will see something that is similar. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if. While we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the thing which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And if you jump back up to verse 17, he says, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ... We ourselves also are found sinners. Verse 18, sinners, because we are seeking to build again the things which were destroyed. The law, the old husband. I make myself a transgressor. Why? Because no flesh will be justified before God, and in doing so, I make Christ a minister of sin. He is saying, if I am seeking to add to or to complete my acceptance before God in any way, on any level, by the works of my flesh, I will bring myself back under the condemnation of the law. And in doing so, 
I am making Christ the minister of sin. By the time we get to chapter 3, it is as if he can no longer contain himself, and he bursts out, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? It's almost as if he is saying, you've lost your minds. You have lost your minds. And it is then that he asks the question in the clearest terms. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? And we see in chapter 5, I think, that now he is answering his own question. So going back to our passage, he says, you have been called to liberty. Then he says, only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. And the Greek word here, for occasion means a base of operations. It's a military term. It's the place from which you wage war. The base. So this freedom is spoken of as a base. And he says, do not use it as a base of operations for the flesh. Going back to the weak and beggarly elements, touch not, taste not, handle not. But rather a base of operations for the spirit who will work in you by faith in the promise both to will and to do of his good pleasure, whose fruit is not division and backbiting, but love. He says, do not use this base as a starting place for the flesh, but rather serve one another from there in love. So there are two ways of using this freedom set before us. The way of faith, working itself out in love, which is the fulfillment of the law, and the way of flesh, working through the law and producing condemnation and strife. The awful irony is that if by the Spirit you love one another, you will be keeping the law. And if by the flesh you determine to please God by keeping the law, you will in fact be in sin and become one who bites and devours one another. And was this not exactly what was happening in the churches of Galatia? Take a look quickly with me at what he says about those that were trying to bring the Galatians back into bondage. They were persecutors. In Galatians 1, Paul speaks of himself while under the law, and he says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond the measure I persecuted the church of, Christ, of God and wasted it. And then again, at the end of the allegory of the two sons in chapter 4, he says to the Galatians, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. Even so it is now. And I would say it ever shall be. They stood as judges <coughs> of other men's actions. They were fruit inspectors, if you will. In chapter 2 we read, And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. The phrase to spy out means to inspect insidiously. It was gradual and subtle, but with the harmful intent of bringing them back into slavery. They also acted in fearful hypocrisy, and they separated themselves from other believers. 
For Peter, says Paul, when under the influence of this legal spirit, withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the Jews dissembled, that word just means hypocrisy or were hypocritical. And the Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. And why did they do this? Why were they persecutors? Why were they fearful? Why were they acting hypocritically? And why were they standing as judges over other men's souls? Because as Christ tells us in the Gospels, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. They thought they were doing the righteous thing. They thought they were doing God's service. There is really no other choice for those that fall under a legal spirit. These are not people desiring to do less for God, but more, at least they think so. And they really do believe that they are doing the service of God. They are standing for the truth. They are protecting the honor of God. And this is why, when we go that route, we bow, bite, and devour and consume one another. Because if we ourselves are under the law, how can we show any grace to others? So I want to quickly conclude with a few things. First, Paul is giving us in this chapter a checklist to examine our own motivations. He appealed to the Galatians to examine their love for one another and even their love for him. Look at how tenderly he woos them in chapter 4. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible... He would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. It's almost as if he's saying to them, Can't you remember how much you loved me? How much you loved God when you first believed? You have left your first love. Return. Repent, do the first works. The motivation of these men that are so zealous is not love. They are serving themselves in their own pride, but faith works by love. He yearns over them with the deep love of one that had birthed them in Christ, and he is calling them back to that love themselves. The Galatians had turned toward the law as a means of acceptance, and the inevitable result was that they would then turn that law upon one another. This is always the result of a heart that is working to please God in the flesh. They will first mold and make the law into something that they can manage, and then they will demand that everyone around them conform to it as well. So Paul is saying, you have been called to liberty. Stand fast there. If you use this liberty as a base of fleshly law-keeping in order to please God, you will, because of the very nature of the way law works upon the flesh, 
Accuse or excuse one another, biting and devouring one another, until you are utterly consumed. For by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But if instead you stand fast in the liberty and the grace into which you have been called, and serve one another in love, you will fulfill the law. In closing, I will ask, of which spirit are you and I? And I don't think this has to be an all-or-nothing proposition. I think we can often fall into a legal spirit as believers. And so I'm not saying that this is a, a lost person and a saved person. I'm saying, what is our spirit in the day-to-day things we do in life? A legal spirit is the antithesis of a loving spirit. A legal spirit is a warlike spirit. It will be full of enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. But out of a loving spirit will flow joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A legal spirit will find fault, or a loving spirit will find none. A legal spirit will be impatient, while a loving spirit will suffer long. A legal spirit will be demanding of others, a loving spirit giving to others. A legal spirit will seek to be served, a loving spirit to serve. A legal spirit will feed the flesh, a loving spirit will be self-controlled. A legal spirit will make excuse. A loving spirit will seek the truth. A legal spirit will bring into bondage, and a loving spirit will set free. A legal spirit will be controlling, but a loving spirit will be meek. A legal spirit will be proud. A loving spirit will be humble. A legal spirit is a critical spirit. And a legal spirit is a fleshly or carnal spirit. We could add to the list many more things. It certainly isn't exhaustive, but I think you get the point. If you are laboring under the law, your religion will be a heavy thing, bereft of real joy and peace. It will be more about duty and less about love. It will be a heavy burden, and you will attempt to bring others into bondage with you. You will be sure to correct every wrong. You will be sure that everyone is pulling their weight. You will be the judge of other men's motives and practices. You will set yourself up as policeman, as judge, and as jailer. But Paul is calling us to a better way. By love, serve one another. Let's examine our lives. We may talk about one another, but how do we do so? The way we interact with our spouses, our children, our parents. How we speak about our co-workers or our clients. How we talk and think about the people who are sitting around you right now. Are we laboring under a legal spirit? Or are we walking in love? As we go to prayer, let's ask God to reveal this to us. Let's ask him to work in us by the power of his spirit, such a sense of the liberty and the freedom that we have in Christ, that we will be utterly humbled before him 
and immune to the rising of this fleshly carnal spirit. Let's pray that the Spirit would make us ever vigilant against this fleshly spirit that will bite and devour and ultimately consume one another. Let's ask him to teach us to walk in love, serving one another, knowing that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty.